Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with an eBay guaranteed fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Are your money back? Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Picture this. It's blazing hot outside and you need to head to work. You get into your car and turn on the AC to get cold air pumping as soon as possible, but it doesn't work. Instead, blowing hot air out of your vents and directly into your face. No, your car doesn't hate you. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the air conditioning system, and there's an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. There's no need to go to the shop and pay lots of money when you can save time and money recharging yourself with AC Pro Recharge Kits. AC Pro Recharge Kits make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience. And the AC Pro app offers clear, vehicle-specific instructions to help you get the job done in less than 10 minutes. So pick up an AC Pro Recharge Kit at any store selling auto products and confidently restore your car's cold air yourself today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Back again on Speed Street. We are post-Thanksgiving. The holidays are here. Hope your Thanksgiving was uh, restful and one that you were plenty thankful for with people that you loved. Hope that uh, you've gotten a lot of good shopping done. You're not stressing out too much with the holidays approaching. Uh, Forgive me for for the way I sound. I've been a little under the weather here the past four, five, six days. One of those kind of things. Uh, But, uh, you know, we, we trudge on. We make it happen. Joey Molinaro here. This is Speed Street. Thanks for being with us. And of course, my pal uh, Connor Daly here. Um, how are you feeling, man? How was your Thanksgiving weekend? What's going on in the world of CD? I mean, honestly, I think everyone's got that same type of feeling—a little bit of sickness. I've got a little bit of, little bit of sickness in the body as well. I think um, it's that time of year. We're gonna—I'm gonna get this uh, little sicknessy stuff done before we get into the Christmas season and we're going to feel great for December. So this is the perfect time, the perfect week because nothing's really going on to, to get a little sick. Um, but yeah, all is well. Uh, we were on the simulator again this week, the final two days on the simulator for 2022, um, two simulator days, uh, which apparently actually, now that I've said that apparently I'm not allowed to say when I'm on the simulator anymore. I don't know what type of, um, low-key undercovery uh that is all about but you know what i may or may not have been on the simulator for two days so that's that's what we're gonna go with um and getting some work done with the team which is great uh we got christmas parties coming up you know team ed carpenter racing christmas party coming up in december uh but thanksgiving was great uh lots going on i did some shopping as well did tried to get some deals for my brothers um are you guys a secret santa family no, we're just big Christmas day. Like we're like, you know, even if it's even if it's like a, a reused pair of socks, we'll wrap it up. So we have the joy of un- unwrapping it. You know what I mean? Like it's it's we're big wrap all the presents and and, and unwrap stuff. Right. But what I'm I, like, so it's not one of those like workplace ones where you like drop it off at their desk secretly. <laughs> I, I just meant like, do you guys draw like one person? No, that's like I'm buying for this person and then somebody else draws. And they buy, you know what I mean? So you're not like buying 80,000 gifts. Well, it's funny. I think we got to a point where like I um I I kind of have to get something for each brother. And I have three brothers, you know what I mean? And I and I try to get something for my mom obviously every year. Oh yeah. Um but uh but yeah, it's it's tough, man. I think we got to that one year where I was I felt adult enough to where I was like, "Hmm, I feel like I need to be getting my all of my family gifts. So like I I have a big shopping list. Like I have a whole 
area here in my main living room where I've like I've got and now I have a lady. I have a girlfriend, so I have to buy for her, mm-hmm. too. I got mm-hmm. gifts for her. I got gifts for the family. So it, I, I basically consider myself Santa Claus now. But I also I actually do enjoy the gift giving more than I expected to. I, I, I enjoy the 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 surprise the potential for this excitement on that day so it'll be it'll be cool i'm excited for it and you you have a kid now you gotta buy for yeah. a bunch of furry animals and small cars right exactly <laughs> you're you're santa claus like c-l-a-w-s like like white claws that's what you are <laughs> yeah. santa white claws it is claw season um, yeah. It, it, yeah it's funny it's interesting with a three-month-old uh buying for him for christmas because it's like he has no idea what the hell's going on but if me and him and his mom are out shopping around we still don't want to just blatantly buy his christmas gift right in front of him like that's <laughs> that's a weird thing right that's so cheating. it's like we're right we're kind of finding this balance of like all right well if one of us is out or if like the grandparents want to hang with the, with the boy for a little bit we can go and get his christmas gifts but also he's going to be 4 months old and uh he's not going to know shit anyways so you know, don't go too crazy. My parents already said that. They're like, he's not going to know, like, get him stuff for Christmas. Ah. But this first Christmas, when he's not even four months old, he's not going to know what the hell is going on, nor really care. He just wants some booby milk. So that's it. That's it. It's as simple as that. Just give him things to suck on and he'll be happy, right? <laughs> exactly. But I do. I will recommend. Ben, do you are you Secret Santa in your family? Or what's the status um, there? We do like we'll do kind of like, you know, get stuff for the siblings, get stuff for the parents. And then, you know, out like extended family. We kind of do the white elephant sometimes. I don't think we're doing that this year. White elephant is fun. Yeah, you know, little, little 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 Yankee swap, but I will I will say, me and both sides of my family switched to this method a handful of years ago, and it's been great. Instead of getting every sibling and their significant other and their kids and your parents and everybody gifts, we do like you know a fifteen person draw, and so you get one person that you have like a one hundred or one hundred fifty dollar budget, whatever you set the budget, whatever you know, you get a hundred dollar budget. And you buy up to that for that person. And then they buy for you, whoever your secret Santa is. And so then on Christmas day, you're all sitting there and like you get the gifts and you're like, well, who was it? And you play a little fun <laughs> guessing game and you know, you don't go too. it's, e- it's easier on the pocketbook. You know what I'm saying? So as you get significant others, as maybe kids come into your lives, you know, this is just that advice that I'm giving to you guys now. So you can get ahead of it. Keep it in mind. I respect that. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. It's um, it's a great time of year, though. I, 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 um, I, I have now finally got back from traveling to where this is probably like the longest stint that I'll have at home uh, for a while before we go to Ireland, which will be a great time. Um, but uh, but yeah, man, Thanksgiving was great. Did you? I, I, I saw via our group text that you, Joey, talked about. Well, you tried something that we had talked about on our Thanksgiving special episode. Can you yep. tell us about your experience in the in the kitchen? Yes, you or guys, at the dinner table. <laughs> you guys both had, I think, I'm pretty sure you both had sweet potato casserole in your podium for Thanksgiving mm. dinner, right? Yes, I had like honorable mention. Alternate, yeah, honorable yeah. mention alternate. And I told you guys, I said I'd never had it before, and um, the the missus made it for for us hosting Thanksgiving. And I said, well, you know what? Since the missus made it one, and since the boys on Speed Street recommended it. I'm going in for it, and uh, by golly, if it wasn't just everything that you had it cracked up to be, it was delicious. <laughs> it was warm. It was cinnamony. Um, I absolutely enjoyed the hell out of it. So I don't. I still feel good about my podium of food. Yes, but it's definitely going to be on the Thanksgiving plate. Maybe even the Christmas plate. I don't know. We'll throw it in for more holidays. It's going to be there from now on. Let's not shut it off to Christmas. You know what I mean? Like, because it could absolutely come into play for Christmas. I see. I had something that was on my uh, last year's Thanksgiving special uh, monkey bread. We had monkey bread and uh, the corn casserole. And the corn casserole is apparently my grandmother's recipe for corn casserole as well. So delicious stuff. It was I mean, it was a wonderful day of eating. It, it, it was a wonderful day of eating. Um, and I'm very thankful for that. So lots of Thanksgiving treats for everyone, which was perfect. Dude, that that uh, that gingerbread house that you made looks looked awesome. Look, I was trying to send a message to the UFOs and the aliens out there. I've been watching a lot of 
ancient civilization documentaries lately and, and alien documentaries because, you know, we're just trying to trying to really get involved with uh, what's going on up in the cosmos. Um, and so, yeah, I designed a house that that had a lot of detail on it, but it was basically a target for the UFOs. Come hang out, come have Christmas dinner with us. That was that was my goal. I'm a big gingerbread house design guy. It was it was fun. Did you have like, I mean, that, it, it looked pretty detail oriented, like it looked really well put together. Was this like a, you know, kind of like a, a one, two, three step process or was this just completely by scratch? What were we working with here? No. So these were the pre-made houses where you basically uh -huh. they're, they're already built, but then you decorate. Right. So like we had to do, you know, we had to have all that. We got all the ingredients in there and we had all the little candies um, but it was a big table of folks, you know, a lot of my cousins, cousins, friends, cousins, kids, um, doing all kinds of, you know, designing. So, yeah, it was kind of a fight for supplies at some point, too, because sometimes you want to just, you know, I wanted sure. a lot of red and green, just red and green stuff. And, sure. you know, some people were taking that stuff for me. So you had to fight for a little bit of your, uh, you know, your equipment there. And also you didn't want to run out of icing for some reason. Apparently. Big gingerbread house. The company is is shorting us on icing. So you know, I'm 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 trying to fight for the icing here to create create some masterpieces. Is that was that like a tough spot? You know, in like grade school when you know it was arts and crafts time, and <laughs> you know you're you're at the table and you're like kind of working your little heart out, and you think yours is really good, and then you look next to you, and like Jessica has this just like beautiful work of art, <sighs> and then you get kind of embarrassed. Was that was that scenario happening for you with the gingerbread house? Yeah. And, and I, and I, I don't know whether this is like a, a, a bad thing to say or not, but like without a doubt, the women at the table were far more creative and far more artistic than the men at the table. Like it's just, <laughs> it's just science. Like it was just, that was what was happening. I saw like that, you know, my, my brother Colin had built a, uh, a ball pit in the side yard of his, of his uh, gingerbread house. So he didn't even put nice. anything on the house. He just put a bunch of like pretzels together and put a bunch of those little candies in there. He's like, yeah, no, that's the ball pit that people are going to jump in. It's like, OK, cool. All right. And Love yeah, that. so I, 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 I feel like I am doing creative things. And then I look at, you know, my cousins and, and their friends or like my my little brother's girlfriend. And it's just like, well, all right, you guys are more creative than I am. I I, I, I understand it. I get it. Yeah, for sure. Just came up with a million dollar idea. And if you want to talk to Doug about this, maybe even I can. Um, <laughs> I, I think this would be great. Uh, a, a, a gingerbread house of the pagoda. Yes, I agree. Go to IMS. I mean, come on. Who, who's who's to quote my pal Ben Polizzi in the opposite way. Who's not buying this? Exactly. But go to gingerbread house during the holidays that you can decorate yourself. I mean, come on. I, I like the idea. I think it sells really strong uh, inside of the 465 circle, maybe just outside. Um, but uh, yeah, going to have to talk talk to Doug about his Christmas merch line. Going to have to talk I'm, to about it. I'm just saying, man, yeah, that's an iconic thing. Everybody loves it. Everybody posts the pictures of it. Now you can build your own. B-Y-O-P. Exactly. Build your own pagoda. I love it. That's important. Um, well, we have a big show today, uh, not only because we're just, you know, uh, shooting in the offseason, recapping the holidays and everything, but uh, your pal uh, Pietro Fittipaldi. Yes. Uh, Indy car driver, Formula One driver, uh, an all-around swell guy. He joins us. Um, so looking forward to that uh, for a great conversation about all sorts of things, Formula One, IndyCar, uh, growing up in Miami, growing up in a racing family, you know, the whole thing. So I had a lot of fun with him. Um, is there anything else you want to get to before we get into that? Yeah, I think, um, as you said, Pietro is a great guest. I think we wanted to get someone directly from the Formula One paddock, you know, like a Will Buxton, because Formula One is very fresh in everyone's mind. But also, you know, he, we're an IndyCar show, so he's done IndyCar races. We've been in an IndyCar crash together. We've been, you know, we've been in the same Indy 500. It's, it's, there's a lot of cool stuff to talk about. He's got some great insight, so be sure to stay tuned to that. But we had we had posed a couple, uh, you know, we had asked our, our listeners to send in some questions before. Uh -huh. Uh, a couple episodes ago, and I had screenshotted a couple that, um, you know, that we might not have got to. Um, and and I think one of them right up right right out the gate that we'll just get into a couple of these. Uh, this is from Adaptive Mom. And this is I think is a good question. Will we see more Alex Pillow contract type situations in the future with other drivers? Now, 
I think that's an interesting question because sometimes when you see things for the first time, right? Like then there are rules set for that, right? Like sometimes if you encounter a new situation in life, like let's say the NFL, all of a sudden, you know, technology is developing and helmets become different. So then they might need to change a rule here and there. So I think, I think managers and lawyers and agents are going to see this and, and perhaps adjust for that in the future. So I, well, it's I, like, you know, it reminds me of it's like the, the transfer portal in college football. Yes. Yeah. Over the, over the past handful of years, you know, the transfer portal has entered and it's made it to where it's kind of become like wild, wild west free agency for college football. Right. You don't have to sit out anymore. You can just in- enter that portal. You can pick what you could open up your recruitment like a free agent and then you can go wherever you want and play the very next year. And it's changed the landscape, right? It's, it's made it look different. It's just different how coaches go about it, recruiting, how players look at schools, everything like that. So I, I kind of would compare it to that. Yeah, exactly. So I, I do think that that was a very unique situation. Um, and sometimes in life, like we've seen some crazy stuff, like there there's some weird things that happen. And, and I think this was on the pretty much in the top five of craziest, wildest situations I've seen in motorsports. So um, I, I don't think we'll see that stuff in the future, but if we do, we know that it'll create a buzz. So that, that, that was very, very, very good question. Uh, I had another couple here. Um, this one is more so about, uh, my diabetes and, uh, Mara sent in a question that said, do I actually use the inhalable insulin? Because if you follow me on Instagram, I have had some ads about my inhalable insulin that I use. And of course I do. I'm not going to put out an ad for something I don't use. Um, it's it's uh, yeah, I use inhalable insulin. I have a Dexcom G6 right here on my body for my diabetes. And uh, that's your diabetes tech talk. So that's double confirmed because I've been around Connor very often, many times where he has double confirmed. So, yeah, so I will double down on that. Yeah, I'm an inhalable insulin guy. It is uh-huh. uh, life changing. So I, 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 I do enjoy it quite a lot. That's my own personal opinion. There you go. Um, we had a, another question about if I will race a midget again in 2023 or end of, and, and that is no, I have retired from midget racing. I will not be racing in the dirt anymore. The next person who I think we should see drive a midget is potentially Joey. I think Joey should drive a midget next. Throw me in. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, um, that, that was pretty much it. There's, there's a couple other questions that were really interesting about who can we blame for renaming Indy lights? <laughs> you are not happy. That was about a very that, funny huh? question. I, I also am am not sure if I if if I'm I, I like the Indy Lights name. It's been Indy Lights since I've been alive. Um, but you know what? Sometimes things have to change. So I'm going to support our um, you know our leadership group and Indy Car NXT or whatever it is. Um, Indy Next, uh, Indy NXT. I, I mean NXT is cool, but it also makes me think of wrestling. So I. I I, I don't also makes know. me think of NFTs, which is kind of NFT, down right now. Which are tough Bad right spot. Now. Yeah. But hey, if it gets more cars on the grid and, and if we get more of a show for our fans that come out to the IndyCar weekends, then I'm all for Indy NXTs, whatever, whatever we got going on there. All right. I think that was enough. I think we can get to um I think we can get to our, our guests here, Pietro Fittipaldi. Um, and obviously after that, we will have our random Indy 500 driver of the week. So here's our fantastic guest, Pietro Fittipaldi. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, everyone. We have a fantastic guest for this show, as we mentioned. Um, uh, a friend of mine, a, a I would consider him still a young driver because he is a young driver. Uh, a Formula One driver, a uh, an IndyCar driver. Uh, let's say a driver of really almost anything. I think he's done almost all the ladder systems, whether that's, you know, to go towards NASCAR, you know, he was even a big uh, NASCAR guy for a little while, trying to maybe do some closed wheel car stuff, uh, ended up in the Indy 500, ended up in a formula one car. 
a uh, very famous family name who uh, his family knows my family, Pietro Fittipaldi. Thank you so much, pal. Um, how are you doing, man? Uh, Formula One season's over. You're back home now. You're in America, which is great. Uh, how's how's life? Yeah, man. Thank you for for inviting me. I, I got back home two days ago from Abu Dhabi because after the we had the race weekend there. Then um, uh, I tested the car as well on Tuesday following the race. And then I stayed out for my brother's uh, Formula 2 testing. So I basically stayed in Abu Dhabi for like two weeks. And uh, yeah, and then flew back home. And uh, I'm in Davidson, North Carolina now. Um, just enjoying some time with the family. And uh, yeah, season's over now. So going to rest a little bit. Yeah, time for vacation. Now, for those that don't know, <clears throat> Pietro is obviously racing at the highest level. But his little brother, Enzo, also a racing driver, also part of the Red Bull driver system now, too, which is really cool. Um, that's got to be wild to have um, really a supremely successful family and driving all throughout from top to bottom. Um, how cool is it for you to be able to go on that ride with your brother? Like there's, you know, you're obviously at the top level and to be fair, it, it, it pains me every day to not see you get that race seat with Haas and to get in the race car. You know, I, we saw Nico get the, get the Haas seat. Um, which I, I've always been fan of Pietro getting that. If you have a reserve driver, it should probably be Pietro getting the race seat, but no big deal. We can talk about that later. But how cool is that for you and your family to have, you know, you in the Formula One paddock, your brother in F2, uh, and now with Red Bull, I mean, that's that's an incredibly, you know, massive opportunity. How cool is that for you guys? It's amazing, honestly. It's almost like uh, like like living a dream because um, ever since we were kids, we wanted to – to race, whether it was a uh, NASCAR or Formula One. Initially, I, you know, I went the, the NASCAR route and then we switched to, to Formula One. But um, like just to be in the same uh, paddock, but at like the top level of uh, rate, like single seater racing and being there in Formula One with Haas and the same weekend, my brother's racing Formula Two. The paddocks are close to each other. So when I have some spare time with Haas, I'm going there to the F2 paddock trying to help him out. He had a great season this year. Um, and then got the opportunity with, with Red Bull. But I uh, like even, uh, last week we were, I did the FP one for house on Friday and he was out on track at the same time. And I was just thinking to myself, I remember when we would go race karting in Florida and I would be in like, uh, whatever the mini max class and he'd be <laughs> in the micro max, you know, like different classes, but racing the same weekend. And now we were in the same weekend and I was only doing the practice, but I was there with formula one and he was there with formula two. So it was like a crazy uh, thing to to think about to see like you know we were able to to push through so many you know a lot of ups and downs but uh, get to where we are now for sure the, the journey um, there's still a long way to go and a lot more we want to accomplish but just to be able to kind of sit there and enjoy that it was uh, yeah something super special. What's it like growing up with the last name like Fittipaldi? What, what kind of pressure and expectations was that like for you? And 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 how have you been able to you know just be so successful and 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 kind of live up, live up to it? You know. Yeah, I mean the the name for me, I think it helps much more than um, give any like negative. Uh, I think the the pros are much bigger than the cons. I mean, for me, the the most important thing I have a family that understands so much about racing. So that always helps. Uh, I'm very close to, um, you know, Christian Fittipaldi to my uncle, Max Pappas as well, who's the IndyCar uh, uh, steward. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure if Connor yeah. likes him or not. But yeah, they've been able to help me um, a lot in, in my career and just kind of open some doors for me, you know, give me advice. But at the end of the day, I'm doing it because I love it. I want to be successful in racing. You know, I want to one day race full-time in Formula One. I want to be able to race full-time in IndyCar. I want to win races. So the pressure comes from myself because at the end, it's if you're going out and doing whatever you love or whatever career path you want to take, um, it's independent if your family was already successful in it or not. You still want to do well. And I think that pressure comes from within, you know. So um, people ask, oh, you know, is there a lot of pressure with the name? I said, no, because at the end, I wanted, I'm doing it because I want to do it and I want to, I want to be successful and I want to do well. So the pressure is just, it's part of the, the game, I guess. So, so if you were, when you were 12 years old and if you would have said, uh, I think I want to be a lawyer, 
<laughs> you know, uh, at Fittipaldi and Fittipaldi uh, uh, lawyer group. That would have been cool. It wouldn't have been like, nah, you're, you're think, getting behind the wheel. Well, honestly, I think my dad, I think my dad thinking about it now, he would have probably enjoyed that. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Connor, I think you know how it is. But yep. the struggle of trying to be a, a race car driver, it's it's crazy, man. Yeah. Every year, the, the struggle of, and like the sacrifice from our parents and stuff and my dad, like committing basically all his time and working and finding sponsorship for me and my brother to race. It's a hustle every year. Uh, Connor knows, you know, how it is. And uh, yeah, I think our parents would have been, yeah, that's probably a little bit less stressful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, people like, I think we get asked all the time, like, you know, you, kids come up to you or whoever it is. And they're like, I want to be a racing driver growing up. And I said, I, I think my first initial response now is like, are you sure? Like, like, <laughs> yeah. you, like, like you better be ready to, I mean, it takes everything. It takes, yeah. it takes everything out of your family. It takes everything out of your life. I mean, you sacrifice everything because there are so few people who get a chance. And, and you're a guy who I think is a, is a perfect example of like a guy who has won on his way up, who's done what he's needed to do, who, even when you were a reserve driver in formula one, you came over to do the Indy 500, right? Great job at the Indy 500. You did everything you needed to do there uh, as a rookie, right? And then you're still right on the precipice, like right there. And 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 uh -huh. and for me, that's so hard. I think for people to comprehend because, again, there's seven billion people, eight billion people in the world. There's only twenty Formula One seats, and there is there are a lot of people that are coming after that. And there's only thirty three Indy 500 seats. You know what I mean? So it's it's very hard to break into that. And how do you mentally? Because I, because I'm a race fan, and we've been talking a lot about Formula One lately because that's the only racing that's been going on recently. I find it frustrating because the people of the world don't necessarily see all that goes on behind the scenes, right? There's a lot that happens in racing. That's very, very much under the covers. That's, that's kind of in the back, in the back seat. Um, and you're, you know, you're the reserve driver for Haas, right? And whenever you needed to get in, which you did two races in formula one, did your job, you know, did well, do your job in FP one, you're doing the things, right? So does it, is it, is it difficult to, be that guy who's not going to just come out and be like, well, I, I need the race seat now. You know what I mean? Because I think you've been very fair to everyone. And look, the only re I, I, I'm I, I'm openly not a Gunter Steiner fan. No big deal. I'm openly <laughs> not a fan. But the only reason I would say I am a fan of him is because he's he keeps you in the seat and he puts you in the car. And so that's that's important. So how do you feel about that whole situation overall? I mean, Obviously, the goal is to be a Formula One driver, right? We all want to be like we all wanted to be Formula One drivers at one point. Um, and is it just all about putting in the time? Is it putting in the effort? Is it putting in the work to say, hey, look, I am ready when that opportunity comes? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, yeah, it's very it's very difficult. Um, obviously, I, I, you know, I respect the, the team's decision and stuff. But obviously, as a racing driver, when you're there as a reserve driver, you get so few opportunities to drive the car. Um, you're kind of just there, you know, waiting for, you know, for, for the chance, you know, to be able to race in the car, be in it full, full season. Um, the, the important thing for me is like every time I've jumped in the car, I've been, uh, and I hate saying it because I, I hate talking about myself and stuff, but like, just, I, I've I know been how you feel. I've been competitive. Yeah. Every time I jump in the car, we've performed, you know, yeah. if you look at the FP ones I did, if you look at postseason testing, everything, we jump in the car, we're competitive and uh sometimes over the pace you know like i know that if i get the chance i'd be able to deliver but at the end of the day um it's a it's a team's decision i i respect gunter a lot gene has a, a lot because they've given me many opportunities um a lot of the drivers like for example the reserve driver nowadays in formula one a lot of them like pay to just be a reserve driver and yeah. since the first day at has you know they 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 signed me and hired me and uh and, and paid me to be there in the team. So obviously the opportunities that they give me to drive the car, I know that another guy could come in and is offering money to be able to just do like an FP one or something. So, um, but yeah, for, as a racing driver, for sure, it's difficult because I know that if I get the opportunity, I would be able to perform very well. Uh, I adapt super well with the formula one car. I've always been like a very late breaker and the F one car, you need a lot of confidence on the entries and high speed corners as well. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, let's see what happens for, for next year. Uh, this season I was also doing endurance racing. So it's not like I was just stopped and we've been able to do well over there. I was racing with a small team. We turned it around and, um, you know, got the team's first ever podium, um, at spa. I got the best qualifying ever for the team. Um, led the, the last race for like two hours. So we've been able to do well in endurance racing, which is going to open some opportunities there in the endurance side for me. Um, but for sure, I still also have the dream to one day go and race in IndyCar full time. But as you know, the first yeah. year or two you do IndyCar, you need to bring the funding to be able to do it. And a lot of the times when I went to IndyCar it was just part-time stuff, just because of the opportunity that was given and as well, the, the funding and stuff, you know? So if today I had the opportunity to go to IndyCar, I would switch the page and go, uh, without even, you know, thinking in a split yeah. second, boom, I'm going to IndyCar. And we but, talked know, about yeah, it. Yeah. yeah like we <laughs> like, like I, I talk with Pietro a lot about this because he's asking like, Hey, like, what do, what does this team need? Because again, it's, we are racing drivers. Right. And like, in the end, we want to make a living driving racing cars. Like our, our job, we want to put food on our table by using the steering wheel and using the pedals, right? Like that's that's what we want to do. And the Formula One thing, you know, you have to keep that alive. But again, what you've done is so smart, I think, right? You're doing the, the world endurance sports car stuff, which is extremely important because if you're out of sight, you're out of mind, right? But you're in, you're in people's view. You're like, boom, we're out here racing. We're on podiums. We're doing stuff. I think it's like very similar to what you did with the Indy 500, right? Strong Indy 500 people. I hope people don't forget that, right? So- it's, it's, it's a real challenge, but I, 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 I just wish that we could put in perspective for people. Like, it's <laughs> not like you can say, well, you know what? Being a reserve driver is cool, but I would like to just pick up my suitcases and go to IndyCar. No, it's not that easy. Like it's yeah, people, people say that a lot. They're like, yeah, why did, why did, why haven't you gone to, to IndyCar to race? full time? It's like, dude, I've wanted to go yeah. for a while, but it's not as simple as just Let's go over here. When I won the World Series Championship in, in 2017, yeah. people were like, oh, why didn't you follow up and do Formula 2 uh, the following season? And I was like, you know, it costs. It's like, you can't just go and, yeah, yeah I'm going to race Formula 2. It costs more than $2 million to be able to race Formula 2. Even if you you're know? the champion. Even if you're the <laughs> yeah. champion. Like, it's it's not just like you just get magical abilities to go to the next step. You yeah, know people I mean? are like, yeah, why didn't you do Formula 2? Why didn't you go to IndyCar much earlier? It's like are you going to pay for me to go yeah. race there then? Like, yeah, exactly. write me a check and I'll, I'll go, you know? So <laughs> you have to make the most out of the opportunities I have. And the Haas opportunity ha has been amazing. Like I've, I've learned so much with the team, man, I've driven the formula one car um, so many times, two generation formula one cars, you know, in uh, last week on Tuesday, I was testing um, the car with the new Pirelli tires for next season. And, uh, and I was able to race two formula one races and, uh, I think that's something that, uh, you know, will always stay with me, but for sure I want to do, um, more, whether it's in formula one, IndyCar, the world endurance championship, I don't know yet, but the only thing I can keep doing is whenever an opportunity comes for me to drive a racing car, I need to get in and perform. And I can say confidently that with formula one, every time I've gotten an opportunity to drive, we've been fast, we've been competitive. Um, and I know I'd be able to deliver and it goes the same with uh, sports car racing, uh, with IndyCar as well. So we just keep pushing. You know how it is. You were a couple of years. I remember you raced with AJ Foyt. You did a full season. Then you were out of a ride for like, what was it? Two years. Yeah. Two or three. And, but you were doing a couple part-time stuff yeah. and then you were able to do it. You never gave up. You kept pushing, kept pushing. And then now you have a full-time uh, seat, you know, for the past two seasons. So I think that's the way you have to go at it. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Now, with all the hubbub and the hype and the Netflix and the superstars and the movie stars that are going on with Formula One, you just said on our show that if you had the opportunity to go to IndyCar tomorrow, bam, you're there. Why is that? Well, because I, I love IndyCar racing, to be honest. Um, I, I love living in the States. Um, I was born in Miami. I've lived here 
yeah, basically my whole life, obviously the past couple of seasons, we've been during the season, we live in Europe and then I come back home for the off season here in North Carolina. Um, but first of all, I love oval racing. I used to race late models. I won a late model championship. Me before. too. I love oval racing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I won a late model championship before I went to Europe. So um, yeah, I, I love oval racing. I like the, the Indy car style of racing. I like going and testing with the Indy car. You get to change so many stuff on the car. You get to work on the setup and um, it's something, yeah, I just, I really um, enjoyed a lot of the, the few races I did in IndyCar. I, I, I loved it. I think as a racer, it's, um, it's a series that's, it's very competitive. And sometimes if you have like a midfield package, you can still go and, and shine, you know? I think it's, it's, it, it's a great series and, and we, we just need, you know, the people to see it. Right. Like I, I, I want to ask a little bit about that forming the one, what has changed, right? Because like when I was in the Formula One paddock, this is freaking 10 years ago now or whatever, but it was not how it is now. So is it cool? Even though, you know, look, if you don't get to race, that's tough, but it's got to be cool for you to have seen, I guess, the meteoric rise of Formula One. Has it been truly noticeable every weekend where you're like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is just crazy. Like they're, they're like, it's, 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 absurd i even respond to some of your stories because you're with these like you know insane superstars and i'm like well that's cool you know what i mean it's just i mean it's it's got to be still a cool experience to see formula one has just become literally the coolest place to be yeah it is it is very cool because when i well, the first chance i i got in formula one was at the end of 2018 i mm -hmm. tested the car for Haas, and then i started full-time with the team in 2019 and it was kind of getting a bit of hype, but it wasn't at that level. And then we had COVID and nobody yeah. would go to the races. So you would go there with the team. There'd be no fans and you'd yeah. just be racing for the cameras. Uh, 2021, last year, uh, they started allowing some fans. But in the beginning, it was like 50% capacity and stuff. But you can already see it um, on the social media side, the digital side, the amount of hype and stuff that Formula One gets. I think Formula One did an amazing job. People always think, oh, it's only Netflix. Netflix is great. Yeah. I think that this, it like sparked, um, it ignited the interest, like especially in the States and some of the other countries that weren't so into Formula One, especially with the younger people. Like I would go to high school here in Davidson, North Carolina, which is, it's a racing community over here. We, I would go to school with like the, uh, John Hunter Nemechek and some other, you know, NASCAR drivers. And uh, I would mention Formula One. People had absolutely no idea. This was like 2014, 2015. They're like, what's Formula One? Now the yeah. kids I would go to high school with, they send me messages saying, man, I love Formula One. I'm following so much. How can you get me tickets to go to the race? And these of guys course. had no idea what Formula One was. So it started with Netflix, but then I think what Formula One did on the um, digital side as well, with the way they put out content is just, I think it's better than any other sport, to be honest. Like the way they put out content, it keeps the people interested. They they create storylines between the drivers and the team principals and stuff. Obviously they use a bit of Netflix for that. Um, but I think it was the whole package. And this year you started like going to the races, you would notice it in person. Like we, we were racing in Mexico a couple of weeks ago, man, it was crazy. We were in the same <laughs> hotel that the Ferrari drivers were in. People were like lined up outside the hotel. I mean, like hundreds, like thousands of people just waiting <laughs> just to see the drivers come into the hotel, you know? Um, and then, yeah, the superstars you see in the paddock. Conor McGregor was <laughs> a guest of Haas uh, in Monaco. So oh. he came to the garage. He stayed in the team uh, hospitality. And I was there with, like, I was able to chat with him for like a couple minutes. There you go. Qualifying with him. It's like freaking legend, you know, it's so cool. <laughs> he spells his name right too, which is really cool. I respect yeah. that. <laughs> that was awesome. Did you have to watch your mouth, you know, were you a little afraid you, you say the wrong thing and kind of going to hit oh, you? Oh, the guy was look. so hyped. Honestly, he has so much energy. It's crazy. He walked in, he was walking into the paddock in, in, in Monaco in the pit lane, going to the garage and Haas was the last garage. And he came in with these, like, I think it was Louis Vuitton, like, colorful blue and gold short uh, shorts and his shirt was the same pattern but it was unbuttoned and like open with him just walking with like all his tattoos like opened up you know what i mean like walking to the garage and he just like looking up into the cameras and stuff it was so cool that guy knows how to build a brand i'll tell you that yeah, he builds it man. <laughs> there awesome. might be a lot of interesting opinions about him but 
<laughs> there is no doubt that he is a yeah. superstar. <laughs> yes. So does he take the cake for the, the coolest celeb you've been around in a Formula One paddock or is there somebody else? It's because Conor McGregor, I when I was <laughs> um, fighting for championships and stuff, he was it was at the time that he was like winning um, fights. And I remember just watching him and then his documentary came out. So I was like a fan of the like his mentality or whatever. So when I met him, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. I never thought I'd be able to meet Conor McGregor and I like, spent time with him. Uh, so for me, that was, um, yeah, that was pretty amazing. But we met like uh, Michael Jordan, uh, Dwayne Wade, and I'm a big Miami Heat fan. So that was really cool. So you just oh, meet nice. these guys that they kind of have nothing to do with racing, but they're they're superstars, you know. That's awesome. Um, I want to talk as well a little bit about what you guys, you and your brother do on social media. Because again, we just talked about how Formula One do such a great job with content. Oh my gosh, who would have thought if you entertain everyone on the internet, it'll drive popularity to your sport. Like it's just, it's literally one plus one equals two. It's, it's a simple equation. Um, but I think you guys have done such a great job in getting your sponsors involved, getting your partners involved. And in, let's say whatever you guys do on Twitch, right? Whatever you guys do in the esports community, how important do you think that is for young drivers right now to establish themselves on social media to generate content that that the sponsors will like because again you know we we interacted a lot during covid when we were playing call of duty right you and your brother we were all just playing games because that's what we could do but then you know you guys turn that into uh, you know streaming in different areas streaming at different events doing different things for your partners i think that's so important because i try to do a little bit of that as well but i think what you guys do is 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 an example of what other young drivers should be doing on the way up yeah, I mean, when COVID uh, started, F1 was doing like the virtual um, F1 races. And uh, because the two highest drivers at the time, Kevin and Roman, they uh, didn't want to do the sim races. They asked for me and my brother to do it. So we we did these virtual F1 races. And then we, we decided, oh, let's start a, a Twitch channel. And uh, mm -hmm. let's, should we do it like Pietro and one Enzo? And I was like, no, let's do it the Fittipaldi brothers, you know, like keep it in the same channel. And we started doing those F1 races on the simulator and they started growing in popularity because we ended up winning the championship, uh, constructors <laughs> and drivers championship. And uh, the channel grew massively because of that. We were like the first non-esports, but like virtual F1 uh, champions. And for me, like the main, and then from that kind of started, then we started our YouTube channel. We started the, the TikTok channel and stuff. And um, for me, it's like, what we realized was we need sponsors to race. Some drivers, they don't need sponsors to race. They have the yes. funding that they're able to just pay, you know, their family pays and they're able to race that way. We need sponsors to race. So what's the best way for us to make it more attractable for attractive for sponsors to want to, you know, put money into us. Is it, it's not just putting the, their name on the car anymore. Just bringing them to the races. We need to push on the digital side. So we we went at it like, full force and said all right we're gonna do everything we can um with twitch with youtube with tiktok and try to grow the fittipaldi brothers brand to be able to offer something different and um and that's what we've been doing and it's something like you said we were gaming throughout covid and stuff and it's something that we already do naturally and enjoy like we're always on the simulator uh we're always playing call of duty or playing fortnite yeah. like we like genuinely enjoy that and we said why don't we do it and and stream it and do activations with our partners and kind of make this um, into a community of people that, you know, fans could come play with us and um, be able to follow what we do outside of the racetrack. And then what we've been doing on YouTube was um, we basically do a vlog of every race weekend. But I mean, like we have it, we started we were doing it ourselves. And then now middle of the season, we hired a videographer. And the important thing was kind of the people that follow us is giving them full access to things that they were never able to see before. So how it is in the exactly. Formula 2 paddock, how it is going to the 24 hours of Le Mans and, uh, and kind of raw, try to do like raw footage and give them that insight. And the way we do is like the videographer arrives on Thursday. Um, he's there with us, you know, getting footage Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And we told him, we said, the main thing about the channel is the content has to come out as fast as possible. So Monday yeah. we have to post the video. So he knows that he knows it's difficult, but Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday, he's already editing Monday morning, straight Smart. after Monday morning, straight after the race, 
boom, the, the video's out. So it's not old news. The people followed the results already, but they're like, the, the news is fresh on their head. And they're like, I want to see the behind the scenes. And we started doing that, you know, and on Twitch, we do all the, uh, the racing stuff on it. And yeah, it's just, it's, uh, it's kind of a job, but we really enjoy it. And it's super important for us. So that's why we keep pushing. It is part of the job. You're exactly right. Like that, that's, that's what I, I keep telling to anyone who is listening to this, who might have a kid who's going to be aspirational racing driver. It is a job. Everything about it. We're only in the race car racing 17 days of the year. If it's an IndyCar yeah. schedule, right? So like everything else leads up to being that driver on those 17 days of the year. So go ahead, Joey. I think you had something. Well, I, no, I love all. I was going to ask. I was, I was going to see the Fittipaldi brothers if we could, you know, uh, contract them out to come teach a <laughs> seminar to uh, IndyCar and the, yeah. the, the folks there and everybody that on, on <laughs> everything that you just said, because that sounds uh, exactly like what we need here, brother. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, it's yeah. it's it's something that I think is super cool. And I, I, I respect it. I even like I will judge myself. I don't do enough like I, I, I like this podcast for me has been super fun to be able to do and like interact with our community. And I know people love to do that as well. But like I still need to stream more on Twitch. Like I still want to do that. I still need to do this, that and whatever. But you just have to put in the effort um, and to talk a little bit about your Indy 500 experience. Right. How was that as a rookie? Like you obviously came in not being a full season driver, which is tough. I've done that before as well, but we love IndyCar on this podcast. So can you explain to people, I guess, now that you've, you've been a former, you are a formula one driver. You competed in a formula one event and you've also competed at the Indy 500. So give us your thoughts, like your raw emotion about like, Hey, we did the Indy 500. In terms of like, uh, like nerve levels, the Indy <laughs> 500 was much higher yeah. than the Formula One race. I mean, obviously the Formula One race, because it when I went to do the Formula One races, has like they did no development on the car. Like it, yeah. they know that it was the worst car on the grid. It was slow. Finishing. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't score any points that season. You were going out there like qualifying sometimes 17th, or but yeah. usually it was like 18th and 20th or 19th and 20th. So you were like last on the grid. But obviously it was something huge for me. And I had my, my teammate, I wanted to do well compared to Kevin and stuff. And we were able to do a great job and it was very, um, yeah, something emotional for me to, to be racing in formula one, but to go and race the Indy 500 in terms of like the intimidation and anxiety levels, it was, uh, something on another, uh, yeah, another level. I mean, um, first of all, you have the days of practice over there and you're trying to get comfortable, uh, getting a good qualifying car and then running the car in traffic, which is completely two, com two completely <laughs> different things. Like you start feeling like a badass when you're running alone. And then when you start putting two cars ahead of you, you're like, holy shit, this is getting a little bit dicey. <laughs> then you get, then you do like those, uh, those test days when the you get like runs. Those, the group runs yeah. like 15 <laughs> cars ahead, which you're an absolute monster at. You love those group runs. <laughs> and Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other thing. And, um, I think the, the most like intimidating thing is like you get everything ready, you fine tune everything. Then you get to qualifying day. Everybody lines up for qualifying. It goes, you do the lottery to see where position you're going to go out at. And uh, I was 15th. So I was 15th to go out and you're there waiting for the, the cars are all lined up. The guy goes, does his four laps. Then the next guy goes. And as you're waiting, you're already anxious, but like it builds up a hype, bro. <laughs> like you already know you, you put the car on the limit, right? That you're going to oh, be yeah. on the limit flat out for four laps. But when you're there just waiting, then you get in the car, three cars to go. By the time you leave the pits, you <laughs> felt like you've done the fucking Indy 500 already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you go out like barely like breathing. And, and it's hard. It is hard to keep everything <laughs> calm. I think maybe because it was my first one, but the, I, it was hard for me to control my adrenaline. So I went out, my heart rate was like at 150. I was already like <laughs> gasping before I even <laughs> left the pits. And then you have to go with the mindset. I was like, dude, I'm, I'm going flat out because there yeah. was bump day. If you start lifting or whatever, and then you're not able to run, you can get, you won't qualify for the race. So the mentality is, at least for me, it was like, it's flat out. I'm holding it wide open as soon as I leave the box. And I did that. And by the time you finish, it was, fuck, man, the sensation in qualifying was 
unbelievable. And then we qualified 13th, which was a great qualifying. Yeah. I think if we would have qualified again, we would have been able to make it to the fast nine because we, we had a bit too much downforce, but uh, Palo crashed and then Dale was like, no, we're not going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, so basically you guys were we, fast. Yeah, we were fast. And then we started the race and the start there is uh, I got emotional. I mean, before the start, they do the national oh. anthem. There's all those. It's the greatest there. thing ever. Yeah. Well, 300,000 people <laughs> there. It's like, Usually in a racetrack, the grandstands are all spread out. This one is like everything around, you know? And yeah, I don't know if you, when you do the presentation laps or whatever, and the, the grandstands look so different with everybody in it. Yeah. It's such a different feeling. And then when you go racing and it goes, man, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, we went on a Hail Mary strategy that race. Oh, I yeah. mean, we were running around like, like 14, 13th. And I think we could have finished between, I don't know, eighth to thir- 13th but they always like we're gonna go on a fuel saving strategy and it didn't work at all we had to <laughs> i know how that goes fuel, yeah <laughs> but it was uh yeah an amazing experience and then all and then also you uh you got to start a massive accident at texas that i was involved in too <laughs> <laughs> Man, no, 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 honestly, no big fucking, deal it's fine that that <laughs> accident <laughs> Honestly, I analyzed, I analyzed it many times. The day before, I was a bit too conservative. And yeah. then Dale was like, you got you to gotta hype it up a bit on the start. You got to try to gain some momentum because you're getting – because the day before, we're running like 10th. And on the restart, I lost like two, three places, whatever. So I was like, all right, I'm going to kind of try to anticipate it a little bit. And honestly, I think it was just the timing where I just went a little bit early, but not too much, just a no, little no. bit. It was yeah. calculated. Yeah. And I don't know who it was. Was it you in front of me or was it Seb? No, I w- it was it was Bourdais, yeah. And he just backed. As soon as I went, he backed off. And then uh, it was just fucking boom. It's a game of inches. It's a game of inches. If he would have <laughs> continued, it would have been fine. But he just, like, lifted. And I and that's when I accelerated and that was over. That's all right. You know what happens? It, it was I never great made video. those mistakes. And <laughs> yeah. I did it that time. And it was something I learned from. Hey, um, hey, oval racing is hard. Like people, like it, people do make mistakes. It doesn't matter if you're Scott Dixon speeding in the pits at the Indy 500 yeah. or crashing at the start of Texas. It's everyone makes mistakes. It's hard. It's yeah. a hard game to play. It is. I want to switch it up from racing here a little bit, man. Um, you following the World Cup? We feel good about Brazil. Is Neymar going to be okay? Man, it looks it looks <laughs> difficult for him. His ankle. I saw the pictures. I don't know if you saw it yeah. as well. But oh, it looks, yeah. That doesn't look uh, obviously he's volleyball not, in there. Yeah, they they play tomorrow. I think the, they already qualified, um, but I don't think they're obviously not going to play him. Um, but for the the following game, I don't know if he'll make it because it looks uh, it looks bad. And I think we definitely need him. Like the last game against Switzerland, uh, without him there was like super tight. The game like you need like kind of like that super star in the team to be able to open the game up a little bit. And felt like he missed him, but let's see. <laughs> yeah we're all riding on cloud nine over here with uh, oh yeah our american boys man but they say the states have a it. really good team um not i don't know if this year but they say like in the future because the mls is growing and stuff and they say they have a really good base coming uh for the next couple of years i wouldn't know but i'd just cheer for them because uh, <laughs> you know we're, we're very passionate americans here we're going to cheer <laughs> for our guys um well pietro i i appreciate you doing this um i've been trying to get Obviously, most people in Formula One are too cool for us in our show, but you are our Formula One guy. So we appreciate that. We also love that you're connected to IndyCar. Um, and if you don't follow Pietro already, please do. Him and his brother are both um, doing incredible things on the Internet. Uh, I appreciate you joining us, man. I hope that uh, either we see you in the Formula One car or we see you in the IndyCar paddock here soon. I really do hope an IndyCar, an IndyCar opportunity opens up for you. Um, because I think you would do great here. And I think, again, it, we have some of the greatest racing on the planet right now. So I, I, I hope that you get to experience that more. I really appreciate it, guys. Thank you for, for inviting me. And uh, we'll do it again soon. Next time, I'll invite my brother. Yeah, so we, we can do talk a, a, little bit about. a dual episode. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> thanks, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Good Connor, Joey, yep. Ben. I appreciate it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. There he was, uh, Pietro Fittipaldi, a very entertaining guest. Loved, loved the way he talked about the Indianapolis 500. Uh, his experience with that qualifying, I think that was fantastic. So appreciate his time. And uh, yeah, I would imagine we'd try to have him on again sometime as well. And uh, hope to see him back in an IndyCar ride sooner rather than later, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, I, I think, again, it's part of the stuff that we talked about that you don't see um, that happens behind the scenes. I mean, you know, I talk to him a lot o- offline and it's, it's, I mean, he he has been actively trying to be in the IndyCar paddock, but it, it is tough. And I know how it goes. It, it, I was very lucky to get my rookie year with Dale Coin Racing. I mean, I had a sponsor and Dale was willing to, you yeah. know, subs- subsidize a bit of that ride for, to give me a chance. You know, I may, I was paid zero dollars. You know, I didn't make any money, um, but I got that chance to be in the car. And so and that kind of set me up for later. But um, it's 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 a tough tough thing i mean he he did get in and do a few races which is important and that might be the next step is like hey sadly we only got to do a few races but it's it's i mean we're talking about raising millions of dollars it's really hard to do that and yeah you know it's i i think he and his brother have done a great job so far but uh definitely definitely wishing those guys all the best and it's it'd be it'd be wild to see both of them in indycar or both of them in formula one who knows no doubt. We'll be rooting for him. That's for sure. Um, all right. This is the last episode of November. We're recording on the last day of November. Uh, so you might be listening to this in December. Nonetheless, um, we're not going to do a show without getting to our random Mini 500 driver of the week. And we're on the street is that Connor has a good one for us here. <laughs> Who do we got? Yeah, I. this was a name that I, I don't think I've actually heard of before. But again, if, if, if I should have, then... Um, I'm sorry, uh, but as I look into the Wikipedia, because obviously Wikipedia is the land of facts, yep. um, I, I decided to go with the 1976 Indy 500, which is a which is an Indy 500 that has not been on our list, I believe, before. Um, and I went with the 25th place finisher, Al Lacosto. And I think there's a there's a cue in there, so I think it's Lacosto. Maybe it's Laquasto. I don't know, but I assume it's Lacosto because that just sounds um, more accurate. Um, Italian American race car driver, born in Easton, Pennsylvania, so over there near the Andretti's. Um, and yeah. sadly, Lacosto died in a plane crash in in Pennsylvania. So very very sad. R.I.P. to Lacosto. But very interesting Indy 500 history here. If you look at it on Wikipedia, the guy had quite a run trying to be in the Indy 500. From 1970 to 75, he either had a practice crash or failed to qualify. So like five years in a row, not being able to make the race, that's tough. Then boom, 76, 77, he made the race. Uh, And then again, 78 to 84, failed to qualify. And then his last one in 1984, all it says is sold car. So I don't I don't know what that means. I've not seen that on Wikipedia before. Does that just mean he got to the Indy 500 qualifying and then just sold his car on the grid? I don't I don't know. Right. I, I yeah. don't know what happened did, there. But like did, did did he sell it to another team or did uh, he yeah. sell it to you know somebody I want to know more. out in the Coke lot? Yeah, exactly. Did he sell it to get home? I I don't know. Like, did he have a practice crash, but it wasn't that bad, but he couldn't afford to fix it? I, I don't know. So again. Fascinating story there. A, a, a guy who basically tried to start 14 Indy 500s, but made two of them. That is, that's wild. It just goes to show you how difficult this race was to make. Certainly back in the day, certainly even now when there's only like, you know, one or two cars maybe that that might go home. So fascinating look into uh, Al Lacosto uh, from, from Pennsylvania. Uh, Albert John Lacosto Jr., so there you yep. go. Sicilian background, um, heritage, I should say. Um, so love, you know, that's that's where you know the characters from the Godfather are based, not the game, oh, yeah. but that's just you know, uh, the you know, Sicilians. Um let's see, there was one thing I was wanting to get. Oh, 
not only was he an Italian American and made two Indy 500s, he was a veteran of the Vietnam War. So he there was uh, a vet. So we salute him for that as well. Absolutely. Wow. Awesome. Yeah, love that. Well, rest in peace to him, too. Taken too, far too soon from us, July 31st, 1991, in a plane crash. He was only 51 years old. Um, but there you have it. Two more Indy 500s than I'll ever be in. So tip of the cap to you. <laughs> uh, again, uh, this is Speed Street. Thank you to Pietro Fittipaldi again for hopping on with us. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. Um, we are seeing that it is the Spotify rap season, the beginning of December, end of November. Um, and some people are already uh, tweeting at us, sending us messages and, and tweets saying that uh, we're on the list. So if that's the case, we appreciate the heck out of you. We hope to see more of them um, keep on coming in. And, and we would love to retweet them and, and just give our thanks for having you guys hang with us throughout this year. It's been a hell of a ride so far. So appreciate that. Be sure to continue to subscribe, follow us. Be sure to tell a friend that Speed Street's growing. Video episode comes out on uh, Dale Jr.'s Dirty Mo Media YouTube the day after the audio comes out. So you can watch us there as well. Be sure to do that. Um, again, follow us at Speed Street Pod, Instagram, Twitter, and then uh, leave us a rating and review as well. Love seeing those. So we appreciate you guys. And we'll talk to you again next week, first week of December on Speed Street. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo.